Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Off Tuckle Empire, the final arrival of crappy fall is here, which means... The sun's not coming out anymore. Which, to this Illinois fan, seems appropriate. It shouldn't. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! You're listening to Off Tackle Empire, a Big Ten football podcast hosted on the SB Nation Off Tackle Empire brand. I am a big old waste of time uh, named uh, Thumpasaurus, also known as Steve Braun, formerly known as Fat Lacoste, formerly known during the game when Fat Lacoste, com- when Matt Lacoste complained <laughs> that I changed my name. Uh, I changed it to Big Time Tummy DeVito, and he was happier with that. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's on Twitter. Um, joined, as always, by my intrepid co-host, Andrew Krzyzewski, uh Michigan State Allegiance. And uh, it's we've had our first snow. It went from 70 to 30 overnight. So we are in depressing season. It, it, at least with the snow, it's kind of nice to look at, though. I will be honest, it, it's like one of the few things that I get sentimental about is snow flying, especially before the new year, like a week or two into January. It's like, OK, enough of this. Let's get to the part where we can go outside and the air doesn't hurt to breathe again. But this time of year, November and December, I really don't mind snow. And it's also one of those things where usually the first time you see the snowflake on the forecast app, it's like, all right, so there'll be some flurries in the air. Maybe it'll be wet, but no, it was like actual snow today. Uh, probably not guessed it because it's too warm, but anyway. It was certainly a week that was in the Big Ten. We have limited firsthand knowledge and have to do some highlight watching and box score delving and not sort me. of application of previous experience for very different reasons. Certainly understandable on your part. I had, among other things, a pediatrician appointment on Saturday for my less than week old child now. And so having finally joined Team Dad, I feel a deeper and keener appreciation for teams that run the damn ball. But that being said, the way I have these lined out, we're going to have to wait to get to the Big Ten West. That's okay. I can be patient. I'm a parent now. And so... Sometimes you just have to not do anything that you want to do, and you have to do things that have to be done first. That's my strategy is to find enough riffs on these games I didn't watch or pay attention to due to a catatonic state that it becomes too late for you to stay here before we get to the Big Ten West uh, decider. And I don't have to talk about it. It's entirely possible. I tried to put these in roughly chronological order, so it shouldn't be too far... 
I bet I can beat out. I bet I, I don't think you can run out the clock on me. Because again, like here, even with a very fortunate sleep cycle for the young one so far, I have no complaints about that. Like we're making it work. Uh, time has still lost all meaning in the last several days <laughs> to a way, to an extent that I had previously thought impossible. So yeah, I know Millie. Ow. <laughs> she got me. Um, so we'll get into these games. The fortunate thing is the first few of them, there's really not a whole lot to talk about. So we can start with Indiana, Ohio State. This is a six-touchdown victory for the Buckeyes. I suspect it probably didn't feel that close on the field. If you're looking for it, we'll, we'll start with the big picture and then maybe go back down to the little if there's anything to find. So, ow, maybe stop it. Uh, Mayan Williams injured in this game. I think he ended up being carted off. This was with Trey Henderson already sitting out. Evan Pryor, of course, has long since been injured and lost for the year. So now Ohio State is really down to Dallin Hayden and receiver slash running back Xavier Johnson as their options on the ground, depending on how long Williams is out. Not exactly what you want in terms of looking for offensive balance with the Michigan game coming over the horizon. But that being said, in a game where you score 56 points, I get, you know, I... (laughs) Got to stop thinking of Indiana's defense as being especially formidable. I saw the recently the stat they're giving up well over 30 points a game this year. And they've actually got just one Big Ten win in their last 16 now. That's approaching that's approaching some stretches that you don't want to be compared to. Yeah, we're we're getting into really ugly territory here with Indiana. And by really ugly territory, I mean prior Indiana. Um, <laughs> right. Moto <laughs> compared it to uh, he's going to do a Jerry Denardo, which is to say win two games and then three the next year. Oh dear. Uh, so we'll see just how long his ears are by the end of this season. What does have to be said for Tom Allen is he's at least trying to push some buttons. I had totally missed this, but they did dismiss their offensive line coach earlier in the season. They've cycled quarterbacks not in a frantic way but in a like like when you're a first person shooter and you're up against the boss you haven't fought before and you don't know what's going to work so it's like i'm going to shoot this guy with this thing for a while well that's not doing anything i'm running away i'm running away i'm switching guns on the run let me try this gun that's not doing anything either he's doing a lot of damage to me and then on the next spawn you try a third gun and you still don't get a whole lot so Desperately needing Purdue to lose one of their last two games. I'm hoping that Basilak's trip to the bench is simply the coach is trying to, you know, do the equivalent of finding a reliable way to awaken Gohan's hidden power, right? Wake up the Basilak from the end of the Illinois game. You know, somewhere in the back of the practices while the rest of the team is practicing, they're like, you know, throwing him out in the wilderness against a T-Rex, throwing him into a cliff, whatever, <laughs> doing whatever it takes you're, you're to uh, awaken Tom, the hidden power again. They Allen. saw it once, and they cannot duplicate it. You're hoping Tom Allen is Piccolo. Uh, I have to say, I think that's unlikely, the way this game flow played out. Basilak got the first three series. Indiana went three and out on all of them, and then Dexter Williams went the rest of, Dexter Williams second, went the rest of the way. Well, yeah, you got to get fourth quarter... Basilac involved here. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's... What is the value of winning another game the rest of the season? Well, it gets you off the mat. Um, Well, it also um, maybe puts Purdue out of the Big Ten title game. That 
I mean... If you're talking about red meat for your fan base, yes. Putting... Uh, Nobody's going to question you very much. Putting a, yeah, putting a nail through the foot of your blood rival as they try to have their biggest season in. One damn near, well, no, I mean like in terms of accomplishments. Like yes, I get that they I won mean, games last year, but in terms of like winning the stuff that you ha- put things up in your facility for, you don't do that for like eight win seasons. Um, a division title though would be a big accomplishment, and so yeah, Indiana will have. Some decisions to make here with a still winnable game against Michigan State. I don't think we're a team that's beyond the reach of the program in Indiana's spot right now. But it's another one of those things where maybe it's easy to say with hindsight, but Indiana's problem for years on end now has been their offensive line. Towards the end of last year, they threw Donovan McCauley in there as a bit of a dual threat. He was nowhere near ready. They moved him to receiver. Now they have their other dual threat, younger quarterback, Dexter Williams, who they put in there. And they moved the ball a little bit when he was in. Granted, maybe Ohio State's kind of calling off the dogs a bit. But if you have a bad offensive line, we've seen historically in this conference, there's really two ways to deal with that. One is the kind of quick passing game that Northwestern always used that was impossible. Like, even the best pass rushers can't get to the quarterback in that short of time. And the other is to use a scrambler. Yeah, the the Northwestern thing, the the key thing there is like the, you know, 50 attempts for 200 yards, that type of thing. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, if you're trying to run an actual balanced offense, that's not super helpful. But if you can't run the ball at all, and Indiana cannot run the ball at all, substituting in a short passing game or getting your quarterback involved in the run game are the two ways to kind of make that work. And it, it really did feel like stylistically they stuck with their approach to the run game a little bit too long. Not to say that they stuck with heavy use of the run game, because it's been a long time since they were balanced in terms of run versus pass. They've been pass-oriented most of the season. So I do think they've kind of done about as much as you could expect with the personnel they have. But again, part of the reason their personnel are limited is because they went out and got transfer pieces everywhere except the part that they needed, which is the offensive line. And I know we talked about this before, so we'll move on, but... Anyway, there was not a whole lot to see in the game itself. Ohio State dominated from wire to wire. Really, their running back health situation is about the only point of interest left. They are going to get a challenge from a Maryland team that could conceivably keep up with them next year. So it's not like they can feel free to sleepwalk to the end of the season. But that's about all there is to say about that game, really. Well, then I'll say no more. Uh, at 100%, I could have derailed you, but I am also just so depleted. <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to find a censor bean somewhere in here. I'm going to keep, I'll, I'll keep prodding. I'll, I'll throw you like a punter tidbit in here at some point and see if, see if I can prod some life out of you. So, also in the noon slot, Rutgers 21, Michigan State 27. And if you had told me before kickoff of this game that the winner would be the team that successfully blocked a field goal and then crisply executed two field goals of their own in the second half, I would have been cursing up and down under my breath, probably with my child in my arms, over a loss to Rutgers in really the only way that it would have been very likely to happen because I would not have assumed that either offense was going to be especially successful today. But no, what we had instead was Michigan State finally coming up on the positive end of an eventful special teams day getting a block of a Rutgers field goal that set them up with good field position. 
and Ben Patton finally looking like a normal kicker instead of like booting it out of the stadium on a 90 degree angle from the direction he's facing when he kicks it. Just hitting two normal field goals, just a nor- couple of normal ass field goals. So very much kicking Joey Hauser. Is that how you sum him up? <laughs> Where it's like this looked like a pretty capable field goal shooter and uh, well, barely resembles a, a human. About, see, let's see. Up until up until about February of this year, you would have gotten me to agree with that. But I have to say, even as much as of a detractor of him as I was in his first year and a half as a Spartan, Hauser got dramatically better towards the end of last year. And he looked pretty good against Gonzaga. Michigan State tipped off about 20 minutes ago against Kentucky. He looks a lot better. He looks basically like the player he was supposed to be. I think by the time this season is over, the inescapable conclusion is going to be he had an awful case of COVID that took him a long time to get over. <laughs> I mean, most of Michigan State's team caught it yeah, in that first year. So I'm hesitant to put all the blame for how they played on the hard court there. But um, yeah, so anyway, to get back to this absolutely thrilling football game, which honestly, I mean, as far as what these two teams have occasionally done this year, it, it was a decent game. Both offenses moved the ball capably, uh, settled within... A few dozen yards of 450 on both sides, so you would honestly expect more points to have been scored, but Michigan State, I mean, both teams missed at least one fourth down, if I remember correctly. Um, so we discussed going into this, this was basically a bowl game death match, especially for Rutgers, who now has to beat Penn State and Maryland the last two weeks of the season to get to a bowl. Michigan State just needs one from either Indiana at home or a trip to Penn State. So it's going to have to be Indiana this week. But very much a, yeah, we we discussed, it's true both teams need this game. Rutgers needs it way, way more. Um, so we mentioned Penn State, and we'll get on to them in the next of the noon games. Maryland 0, Penn State 30. It's been a few seasons in a row now where... Because Penn State has not been able to get over the Michigan slash Ohio State hump, they're out of the picture for division titles, conference titles, national titles. And so we've spent a lot, we spent a decent amount of time navel gazing, like, does this team stay motivated? Do they stay focused? And really, for the most part, the answer has actually been yeah. Part of that's easy to understand because so many of their players are putting together NFL tape. Of course, the other question we had was. Can an ascendant Maryland prove that it belongs firmly in that second tier? Nope. 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 <laughs> it's about the most resounding nope you can get. 134 yards of offense uh, with a pretty healthy core group of players. About as healthy as they get, yeah. I mean, Maryland usually by this time of year is missing several guys, but to the best of my knowledge, they, they're they're running pretty close to full cylinders. Tungavailo has been healthy again for a couple of weeks here. All their major receiving pieces are in place. Uh, it's it's got to be said that Penn State's defense has quietly become one of the better individual units in the conference. Very much a credit to Manny Diaz picking himself off the mat a little bit after getting unceremoniously trash binned by his alma mater. And then quickly accepting another job. Brent Pry had such success here, but Diaz has really... Carried it on every bit well, as successful. Well, it's also a job that he was much better at than a head coach. Yeah. 
And as you see that sometimes. Like, there are just guys that are not really meant to Plus sit in the big chair. Yeah, exactly. Except there are guys who can put together an aggressive, hard-hitting defense. Sometimes, you, I mean... Minimal so far. Kind of looking that way, isn't it? Or maybe it's just something about being in the color red that makes his defenses not work. Maybe he, maybe, maybe maybe he needs to... Team, maybe the team he inherited plays on the West Coast now. Oklahoma may want to consider like changing their detergent in their facilities and washing out some more of the red to try to like shift it a little bit closer to Clemson orange and maybe like see if that works. This is this is my have you tried turning it off and on again because I don't know what the problem is there um, other than what you mentioned a lot of players left. So as far as the Penn State Maryland game goes again Penn State's defense not only replacing a successful coordinator but a ton of players on all three levels really. But they look loaded for Bear really for years to come. Um, Carter is going to be, Abdul Carter is going to be an absolute force of nature. I mean, he looks every bit as good as Micah Parsons ever did or choose your dominant Penn State linebacker, you know, Sean Lee, Navarro Bowman. And he like very much looks worthwhile of carrying that number 11 for them. So and on the offensive side, um, I think by next year, Singleton and Allen will be recognized as the best combination of backs in the conference, and they still get two more years of those guys. So that's before we even get to Drew Aller. Like the future is very bright here, even with a present that's really not too bad. Like they're they're pretty well set up to win ten games. That would probably send them to the Orange Bowl. It's yeah, they absolutely crapped the bed against Michigan, lost to Ohio State, and they got to figure out how to beat those teams. But there's no reason to think they don't have the resources and tools on hand to do it. Yeah, I mean, the only way to ever get there is, you know, the more chances you spend almost there, the better the odds that you will someday get there. Right? Yeah. Um, so you got to keep within striking distance. You could argue that they are. Things haven't, they're, they're certainly closer than anybody else by orders of magnitude. Yes, I think that's probably true, and the level that they recruit at is such that, for example, even with a relatively inexperienced quarterback stepping into the starting role next year with Drew Aller, the guy has such a high ceiling, has shown flashes this year, it may just end up being that it wasn't going to happen with Sean Clifford for whatever reason. He's played mostly fine this year. Um but it does feel like the offense is a bit it's running it a bit less than its ceiling given the amount of talent they have. So we'll see what Aller does once he's there. I mean, the other thing to it is that Clifford's so chronically injured that you can almost understand. But anyway, we get now to the last game of the noon slot. This I was, is gonna be one yeah. of the best days of my life. So anyway, let's revisit what I said previewing this game, which is that first up, a big key for Illinois would be everyone's loading the box now. Chase Brown's getting hit in the backfield a lot. And, you know, what they're doing in the passing game, which is to say these just little things into the flat, uh, are not really dissuading people from loading the box. They got to attack down the seams. They got to unleash big time Tommy. With, yeah, with the this ex- Purdue secondary could be had. Uh, did I think they would do that? Well, yeah. This is a coaching staff that has shown the ability to adjust within a game, let alone game to game. I thought 
I did think that they got kind of caught looking ahead to the Purdue game against Michigan State, maybe came out a little flat. But having been knocked off a little bit, uh, they're going to come out with, with, with some edge here against a team that is spiraling after getting vaporized by a couple of teams that Illinois beat. Um, and also, you know, my, my concern was that, um, you know, will Purdue, you know, will Aiden O'Connell be able to beat the pass rush enough to make big plays in the passing game? He's not going to get a lot of opportunities to beat Devin Witherspoon, but guys like Payne Durham can't really be covered by anybody else on, on Illinois. Um, it's just such, such a tough matchup. Um, but surely the pressure is going to be there. Um, instead, it was basically exactly, uh, it, it's like the game script was uh, designed to attack uh, everything that I love. And uh, so uh, Purdue came out immediately talking shit, you know, making some some kind of, you know, some of those just little things after the flag that like, you know, with the, oh, the yeah. official has to have their back turned. It's just like, it's not like you really want to flag on that. It's just like you're trying to mess with them really. You're trying to get in their heads. Yeah. They successfully did that to us. Um, so what happened in the uh, when Purdue was on offense was uh, Devin Witherspoon locked Charlie Jones up pretty good until an official declared intercepting the ball illegal uh, in, in a, a real head-scratcher for me because I certainly thought when I saw the flag – that pass interference had been called on Charlie Jones, who tackled Devin Witherspoon before he could intercept the ball. Uh, that was not the case. On the next play after the flag, O'Connell sailed a pass a little bit into the end zone, which was fortunate to him because Witherspoon missed picking it off by half an inch. It's one of those things where, of course, if you're playing this in a video game and the guy does that animation, he's going to catch it no matter where it is. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it, it couldn't have possibly missed his hands by less. I mean, but go, go back to that penalty. I mean, that's the kind of play that he's going to, that, that NFL scouts are going to, NFL teams are going to pay him a lot of money because that play is on his highlight reel. It has been ruled a penalty. I don't know what to say. This was the same crew of officials that uh, did the IU Bloomington game. Of course, there were a lot more reasons that we lost, but when you have a man coverage type of scheme, get four Pass interference penalties all year. I didn't think they played appreciably different. They got five against Purdue. So anyway, another thing that went wrong was uh, Tavion Nicholson going out, our second corner. Um, he apparently messed up his wrist pretty badly during the game, had surgery during the game to fix it after making a play on a ball with a messed up wrist. Um, but with him out, it, you know, Witherspoon was still locking up Charlie Jones. Then we had a bunch of freshmen, uh, you know, young guys that just uh, could not stick with. I mean, in particular, uh, Payne Durham became a huge target. Uh, now, why this why this was even able to happen was because, well, Purdue figured out that the defensive pass rush and you know all this pressure at the line was being caused caused by Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton and just those two guys. So you double team them when they're in the game. Nobody else can beat, you know, a single guy. And this is not with a great offensive line. So O'Connell had absolutely all day, was never sacked. Yeah, zero sacks. The, the pass rush just never materialized. It was 
an absolute nightmare. I don't really know how to put this one on Ryan Walters. There's been some injuries that took away his depth in the front seven. Obviously, he <clears> lost <throat> his second corner during the during the game playing man coverage against Jeff Brom Purdue. That's a pretty significant one. I don't know how you put this on him because I think he did about. I, I think he's done about as best as could be expected. He developed a strategy. It kind of teams adjusted, and it hasn't been anywhere near as effective because he just doesn't have the pieces to count to 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 play with. Um, and Purdue was able to get some running room um, as they some, kind of, yeah, as you know, as as Illinois sort of they got enough. Backed off a little bit. They, they got, got enough. They got enough. They they got enough. On the other hand, on the offense, um, I don't know what happened. Uh, it's it's uh, there were very few things called that I would say were designed to take guys out of the box. There was maybe one, you know, sideline type of throw, you know, go route type of throw that was hit to Brian Hightower for a big game. Um, there, there weren't any attacks in the seams. There were some throws over the middle uh, that mainly happened as a result of the play breaking down, wide open tight ends dropping balls anyway. Um, and fundamentally, the Illini completely failed to protect the line of scrimmage. The big consequence of Illinois not doing anything to force the defense out of the box is that Chase Brown is now just getting hit by three guys in the backfield every single time he gets the ball. Uh, it's been like this for a number of games. Uh, he's really been doing a lot of this work himself, but it was it, it, things really came to a head because at some point the Chase Brown break three tackles in the backfield offense is 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 gonna break down. I don't understand why Isaiah Williams got all of the punt returns and like three touches on offense. Yeah. He was doing very poorly at spotting the punt returns. Uh, and he did, I, I thought he should have been given more chances to do something because that would also, you know, force them to abandon the box a little bit, but that never happened. And I don't know if it was because of things, things that weren't called or because <laughs> My favorite Illini quarterback in a long time just made a bunch of really bad reads. Certainly, certainly played the worst game of the season by a pretty wide margin. By the time he threw the interception, the Illini were flailing, but uh, missed a bunch of reads. Had to run it a lot. Probably could have run it more. Um, everything just melted down. The, they, the Illini scored every time they were in the red zone. The problem is that was only once. Um, against this vaunted Purdue defense. That I will put on the coaches. The good news is we locked up the architect of the Chase Brown get hit in the backfield, break three backfield tackle. The brilliant thing about that offense is that when Chase Brown breaks those three backfield tackles, well, now there's only eight guys, right? He's got all three. He's got three. So, so he goes into the secondary having broken three tackles. Well, now there's a mismatch. All right, I'm going to derail you here. I think you might have just set our new record for longest monologue, although I could probably go back. I'm sure I've had some bad ones. I can be bad, too. But I'm I'm going to pose a few questions to you here. So the Isaiah Williams thing, as you mentioned, recorded a total of three catches for 16 yards. The box scores that I'm looking at aren't especially good about tracking targets, but when I've watched Illinois... I have generally thought to myself, I get that Chase Brown's their best player on offense by a pretty wide margin, and I get that stylistically this is how they want to be. You mentioned a lot of the 
passes that they do throw are, you know, sort of these little trickeration, fripperation things to tight ends in the flat or throwbacks to tight ends, things that are close to the line of scrimmage and oh, often, no, the often best to tight ends. Is- Fake the handoff to the to the jet sweep guy and then throw it to that guy in the flat for no gain. Sometimes I like that kind of thing when it's mixed in, like if you've just used the jet motion normally. I don't mind that kind of thing in and of itself. But I yes, agreed that you do have to make the read and determine if the defender has been fooled at all by you pulling the ball. But anyway, the, the Isaiah Williams thing... I have wondered on multiple occasions, especially in the game against Michigan State, when he took a simple slant and then broke several tackles and went for, what, a 60-something yard touchdown. Yeah, that was exactly the kind of guy that uh, was a huge play threat against a a Purdue secondary that is not really that athletic. I have wondered why they don't find other ways to get him involved. I don't recall seeing him getting the ball on sweeps or end-arounds anymore. Uh, they still do a lot of quick hitter things with him to get him the ball quick in space. But as you mentioned, it's a lot of horizontal stuff. Like, I still think they ought to be designing, ought to be attempting more things like quick slants and crossing routes to get him the ball clear of the line of scrimmage in space so he doesn't have to, so you don't have to have seven other guys execute blocks correctly without holding for the play to work. Um, it's just a thought I've had. And the other thing is, <clears throat> I thought given what we saw in a few games earlier this season, that Pat Bryant was on the short route to stardom in this league. I think he still could be long-term, but it really looks like this offense doesn't want to feature him or doesn't know how to, and I'm not exactly sure why. I he... from the non-conference because, again, you know, obviously this isn't Chattanooga, but this sure. defense also is not Iowa. I mean, I, don't, I do not understand there was not that much wind in the stadium, I do not understand why they didn't even try to attack Purdue downfield. In this, you know, especially down the seams. Um, yeah, it's it is a little un- until desperation time. It, same thing against Michigan State. Um, I, I I I don't quite n- know how to explain it. Beyond the offensive strategy, they just didn't seem to be the ones with the fire under their ass. And I can't believe. That Purdue was the one that that came out like this, given what happened to them the last two weeks. And, you know, in spite of all these things, it's not as though Illinois got blown out of the water here. This was a 21-21 game going into the fourth. Purdue to, really dominated in the total yards, though. Yeah. So to address the Purdue side of this a little bit, we don't want to make this entirely a one-team affair. The one thing that does impress you in a game like this is normally, again, we've mentioned this in the past, we talk about Jeff Brown and play calling. And he's far from the only coach that in times of stress will often cling to the thing they trust the most. And usually for Jeff Brom, that's the intermediate passing game. Um, And a lot of time that ends up extending games that don't need to be extended. It has lost them a couple games, I believe. I still think they should have beaten Penn State to open the season. And uh, he he, he did a similar thing late in this game here, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course, he saw what Mel Tucker did last week to uh, beat the Illini and said, okay, that needs to be part of my game plan. I can top that, yeah. That's got to be part of my game plan. Of course, it wasn't anywhere near in as dire of a situation. But, yeah, um, at one point during the game, once it, you know, there were just back-to-back pass interference calls that I really didn't agree with very much. And I thought, but, like, you know, it's not necessarily that I thought the fix is in. It's just... This wasn't the way they've been calling this penalty all year. That's the thing that 
I always infuriates me the most. It's the reason why I, I complain much more about basketball officiating than football because that is a game where from one half to another, you're very often looking at two totally different sports. With so the way what it's I kept yelling but, later in that game was that due to what the rules were that day, if Jeff Brown loses this game from this position, he probably shouldn't be the head coach anymore. So to get to the point I was actually making, though, in spite of all that tendency and play calling preferences, Purdue maintained a reasonably balanced game script here, which is, again, not the thing that they usually do in times of stress, but 40 pass attempts to 33 rushes. And that's even, again, so Maccabee's overall numbers look because he had the huge majority of the carries. Um, but 28 for 106 yards is good enough, but that includes a 28-yarder. So on a down-to-down basis... The run game wasn't getting a whole lot for Purdue, but they stuck with it. And I think that's just so important for them to do. It it relieves pressure on their passing game. And, you know, it may be as simple as the fact that like, at the beginning of the year, they hadn't identified Maccabee as a guy who would factor in the way that he has. Now that they do know they've got him, though, he's got to be a big part of the game plan these last couple games if they want to try to lock up the division. And to my point about what it would mean... To, uh, to lose that game, uh, they didn't. Jeff Brown had his guys absolutely ready to play. He had a strategy that Illinois was unable to adapt to. Um, he was able to get the band to come and literally never stop playing ever, even once. Um, and, uh, I mean... Wouldn't that be um, your approach, though, as a visiting coach? I would do that. I'd be like, yeah. I'll pay whatever fine you get. I just need you to be making noise while the other offense is on the field the entire time. I mean, for God's sake, I managed to convince a Purdue fan behind me that we'd be really embarrassed if Purdue fans made more noise than us while Purdue was on offense. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. So, and, and this is the problem, right? Um, for, for Illinois is they, they, they I, I wait, you know, uh, just keep my head down and keep keep plugging away, praying for a game like this with some stakes, and they get there and completely blow it, as um, should basically be expected. It's got the vibes of 2011, where it went from nothing is off the table, we're definitely not going to the BCS title game, but nothing is off the table yet, and then two weeks later, it's, oh, are we going to win again this year? Oh, Oh, okay. We're just gonna fire the coach that took us to the Rose Bowl after we lose out. Oh, fun. That's that's cool. That's not what I was expecting two weeks ago, but I guess that's what we're doing now. I'm hoping that Illinois is able to pull out of this tailspin a little sooner than eleven years from now. But uh, yeah, twelve thousand extra people came to watch them play Michigan State because people thought finally they're doing it. I'm coming back. That game, of course, scared exactly 12,000 people off based on the attendance figures. You're talking relative to the previous game before Michigan State. So, <laughs> yeah. I... But, uh, yeah, there may come a day when, there will hopefully come a day when I'm reasonably happy to be going to what is hopefully not the goddamn pinstripe bowl because it will almost certainly represent, still represent the top of the mountain as far as we're concerned. But, uh we had for one brief moment the ability to put up a title in some, something meaningful for the first time since 2001 and completely, completely shat the bed. And it's not like we did that against Michigan. 
It's not like we did against Ohio State. It's not like we did that against even Penn State. It was against a Purdue team that had gotten vaporized by Wisconsin and Iowa the two weeks prior. I'm not going to tell you not to be upset about this, but I do want to wind the clock back to September of last year when it sure when you argued and I could not disagree with you that Bielema was going to be a disaster and you were basically counting down the minutes to buyout day. Given that position, which again was not unreasonable at the time, even with these last two very disappointing weeks, I still have to say the pro- the Bielema project is considerably ahead of schedule. Which I know is not what you want to hear right now. Yes. Well, that's but, true, but basically what it is is it's the difference between, like, you know, prior to to, to, to getting... You know, the last 10 years have mostly just been, um, you know, Prometheus being punished for giving fire to humans. Oh, cool, it's time for the Eagles to come and get out my liver again. Awesome. <laughs> I wonder how much it's going to hurt this time, right? Yeah. To, uh, to, you know... To um, not flying too close to the sun, but uh, trying to take off and crashing into the power lines. Um, you know, there's probably an analogy to made here between Illinois football and like the Wayne County jail site, but it just occurred to me now. I don't have; it's not properly incubated, so I'll marinate on that and let you know if I come up with a good way to phrase that. And it's also what sucks is that. We had to lock up this offensive coordinator, and then he decided to just be like, hey, what if I wasn't sure how to attack a mid-defense two weeks in a row? Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it probably, there would probably be a little more hope to, like, a quicker recover, I guess, if we didn't have to go play Michigan and then play Northwest. If we had anything but... The best resume in the in the conference and the worst resume in the conference to end the year. Yeah, there would maybe be a little more. I don't know. Get back to me in a few weeks. I'm trying to figure out how to be excited about going to fucking Las Vegas, where again, I know I will inevitably run into a bunch of Michigan fans at 9 a.m. local time there, who will of course, um, you know, their team is going to kick the shit out of us, and they will laugh at the idea that we ever thought we mattered. And to be fair. It is pretty funny. <laughs> but I, I, so, time right, is a well, necessary element to comedy, and it has not passed yet. Understood. I I think that that's me that's maybe going a little far like I am not one to stand up for the Michigan fan base here, but I don't think they would be quite that like you're not in the big house obstructing their view. I'll put it that way. So I don't think they're going to be quite so confrontational about the entire concept of you as a person as you would get in that situation. So anyway, but, but anyway. So, somebody did down in front us. Um, it's not then, a joke. It will absolutely happen no, to I'm you. at the Illinois game. And then, uh, you know, because it's like biggest game of my life, we just kind of, um, you know, we, we, we moved a little bit and then uh, got a... a exceptionally stern second salvo, which caused his son to be like, Dad, oh my God, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You just let it go, man. We're like two rows up. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty typical. Um, So speaking of Michigan, 
Afternoon game against Nebraska, pretty uneventful. They win by the score of 34 to 3. Not a whole lot to see here. I still don't think Michigan's passing offense has developed in a way that will let them contend against the likes of a Georgia or a Clemson or whoever they would see in the playoff if they make it there, which they probably will even if they lose to Ohio State. That being said, the run game may well be good enough to carry them to victory against the Buckeyes, who have become probably not by design but by injury. I would expect them to look pretty one-dimensional when they play. So I got nothing for you in terms of the X's and O's of this game. I didn't watch a moment of it. And I don't think there's really a whole lot to say. I think in the context of the coaching search, you can just about rule out Mickey Joseph here. There probably was never much of a chance. But again, rumors were moving around you know, a couple weeks ago that they were close to making a decision. And the timing of that would generally tend to favor the interim. We scratched our heads at that at the time. Nothing has happened since then to change our minds on that. They're terribly injured in the quarterback room. And so the offense is no longer able to carry its side of the equation, which this year has been damn near all of it because the defense has been so bad that they only gave up 34 to a Michigan team that has no problem running up the score when they can. Again, I think says a little bit more about Michigan and the way that this offense is still operating with something of a restrictor plate. And maybe we'll see, like we did last year, that they have another gear they can kick it into when the chips are down. But so far, they have not done so. And that's really about all there is to say about this game. I mean, Nebraska has just had... For, for their, their quarterback situation to fall apart to the extent that it has, uh, certainly hasn't worked to Mickey Joseph's favor. But um, also, I mean, you're, you're trying to swing for the fences, right? I don't know what that guy gives you. Yeah, I... I don't know if you're going with, again, not a, I don't believe he's got any previous head coaching experience. I guess what you're seeing pretty plainly here is Nebraska's next head coach is probably going to be going straight back to the well on the transfer portal. A combined effort of 10 for 19 for 71 yards from Purdy and Smothers. I think if you put Smothers back in an option-based system, kind of like Frost was trying to run, he would fit that kind of thing, but there's been no indication that he is a match at all for what they're trying to do this year. What um, else you can say about this game? It was a 30-and-a-half-point line. Michigan yeah. covered by three. Barely. By <laughs> scoring 10 points in the fourth quarter. Um, and yeah, J.J. McCarthy... which was on the fumble recovery on offense. Right, and you know J.J. McCarthy completed eight passes. I mean, I don't think this game tells you anything about their prospects at the end of the year. Again, you are. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Upping the challenge level considerably next week, notwithstanding your current opinion of your team. Not anymore, we're not. No, not ever since they decided they figured out you that really only didn't. two of the front seven can really rush the passer. All right, man. Again, I understand where you are right now, so I'm not going to fight you too hard on this. But to argue that Illinois is not considerably more of a challenge than Nebraska as we sit here on November 15th, 2022, it's a little bit... Living in the sad. October was fucking awesome, man. <laughs> Elsewhere in the afternoon slate, and again, because of the sun being a thing that doesn't come out very much, only afternoon and noon games this past week, and also this coming week. Hugely consequential well, game. Yeah, it's the night game. If it starts at 3.30 Eastern, it's yeah. the night game. But it's, you know, it's not... A, I understand the concern for people driving home in the dark, but you're driving home in the dark from a 3.30 kickoff anyway. And as far as the weather goes, it's not like it's not like we're playing these games on the surface of Mercury, and when the sun goes down, it goes to, like, minus 200 degrees. Or like, I just think that the lack of night games is, again, a missed opportunity. You could have one night game a week, and it wouldn't be that, too, that big of a burden. But anyway, hugely consequential game in the Big Ten West standings. Wisconsin 10, Iowa 24. Iowa's going to win this freaking division with a bottom 10 offense in the country, aren't they? Yep, absolutely. I mean, did you really think that uh, there could truly be an interesting champion in college football 2022 in any division? Uh, I I believe I had this opinion on the Off Tackle Empire Twitter account, which is that... um, Chaos in the Big Ten West apparently involves something like Illinois face planting whenever faced with stakes and Iowa just kind of shitting and farting their way to a three loss division championship, getting out, gaining 146 yards on offense and a 24 to 10 victory. I don't see what's chaotic about that. That sounds like the most orderly thing I've ever heard in my goddamn life. Yeah. Nothing changing. And Kirk Ferentz very smugly telling you all how correct he was to never change anything and how much of a genius this kid is. He's going to extend Brian another 10 years after no, the end of the season. No, he won't. Gary Barta will extend right. Brian Ferentz another but 10 it'll, years. It'll be... are, you, are you implying that Kirk has any power over Brian Ferentz? No, you're He's right. He's an you're independent right. actor. I've forgotten about the completely... suggesting nepotism, I've forgot- sir? I've forgotten about the completely effective control mechanism that is in place to ensure that everything is above board and fair and there is no nepotistic activity occurring in Iowa City. Thank you very much. Anyway, Iowa got to 146 yards, which is probably, if I had to guess, I would say that's probably what? They're like third or fourth best total of the season. Looks completely comfortable eliminating a hated blood rival from realistic contention. You could make a case that every other coach except Brett Bielema in this division should be fired for allowing Iowa to win it. Well, and again, to my point about what's chaotic about this, remember how mad I was last year at every other Big Ten West team, including Illinois, for letting Iowa win this division? It's exactly the same thing as last year. Iowa sucked then. They suck now. They're going to win the division anyway. Uh, I... I wish that I'd put all of my all of my account on Purdue Moneyline Insurance instead of just a third of it because I would have enough money 
to go and just buy some some tickets directly behind the away the, you know the away sideline at the Big Ten championship game and just get drunk and scream targeted and specific abuse at the Iowa bench for four hours like it's a Detroit City <laughs> FC game or a harassing Illini hockey game. <sighs> just go out and have real goblin hours up in here. <laughs> so if you, if you look at the numbers, sack adjusted, Iowa's only running the ball for about two yards a carry. Peaches is probably an improvement. <laughs> Peaches has fewer than 100 yards passing. And it's just like it didn't matter because Wisconsin was worse. I mean, they had 24 carries from their running backs for fewer than 70 yards. Mertz had a little bit more through the air, but through two bad interceptions. Like, I don't know how I don't know how it keeps happening. Like, it's I, ju- I, I don't get it, man. I you know what? At this point, I'll tell anybody who's listening. I'm pulling for Iowa to win the Big Ten West. You know why? Because that will make the largest number of people unhappy. And that's really all I want at this point. Yeah. In terms of game flow, I don't know what else there really is to say. Perhaps mildly interesting that Iowa got another new receiver into the mix in Deontay Vines, but we're talking about three for 25, which in the Iowa offense is about the equivalent of six for 80. So <laughs> Graham Mertz was outgunned at quarterback by a guy that went 14 for 23 for 94 yards. <laughs> he, well, he was outgunned only in the sense that, like, it's like a thing where if you make too much noise, like, the guards wake up and you have to restart the sequence. And so by not doing much of anything, Spencer Petrus managed to avoid impacting the game in any meaningful way. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just imagine... Imagine Graham Mertz going to sleep and seeing, you know, Spencer Petrus's like Cabbage Patch Kid's ass face in his dreams going, A curious game, Graham. The only <laughs> winning move is not to throw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at this drive chart, it's just... You can look into it for a long time. I would advise against that. There were two scoring plays... In the first quarter, relatively early. Well, yeah, I'd say relatively early on. But other than that, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten punts in the first quarter. Or in the first half, rather, I'm sorry. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, eight more. Eighteen punts. Is, that's not really as many as I thought it would be, to be honest. That there were as many points on the board as there were in this game is kind of remarkable. There were under 400 yards of offense. Yeah. Total. Total offense. And again, remember, Michigan State Rutgers, not exactly the highest powered offenses in the country, both got to around 450 in their matchup against each other. So this game, boy, I hope you didn't watch it. I put it on because it ended up being the most competitive of the three in the afternoon slate. So I was like, I guess this is where I'll leave it. We had the in-laws over. So, um, all right, let's no, get to I was busy during this game. I think during about half of it, I was eating Fiesta Cafe, uh, which I will still say is the best Mexican restaurant in Champaign, non-Maze division. And then I think during most of the fourth quarter of this game, I was just kind of like sitting somewhere in the dark by myself, staring straight ahead. You Um, know, as you do. Anyway. Speaking of sitting in the dark, Northwestern 3, Minnesota 31. I guess, I guess. Some credit has to be given to 
Northwestern offensive coordinator Mike Bajacki in for trying to do something, like for taking some action. Like you remember the recruiting flyer, I believe it was in the Willie Taggart era at Florida State. It's this bit, you know, this big, nicely stylized thing, and it's just do something. Yeah. And that's the <laughs> words that are like there's I think there's other stuff under, it, but it's like huge font. Do something. Well, I, I actually would compare this also to uh, the newspaper ad for Northwestern football from 1978 that I unearthed in my in my article on the Pointless Game, which was that their advertising slogan was "Northwestern football, expect the unexpected." <laughs> like them winning a game, uh, yeah, <laughs> or them hiring away the offensive coordinator that like couldn't score at Illinois. Yeah, man, I. So again, they did something, but what the something was, was cycling through quarterbacks like they were trying to find a radio station not playing shitty modern country on I-69 in Indiana, and you get exactly the results that you'd expect from that. Four players scratched out 206 yards on 32 attempts, somehow only managed to throw two interceptions, but a couple of these guys were throwing, they have guys throwing like three passes, like, no, next one, next one, keep going. It's not like there was a ton of game pressure here, because Minnesota remains pretty limited on offense. Um, they had a pair of long scoring drives in the first half, but they were spread out such that it's not like it's one of those things where Minnesota has the ball for an eight minute drive and they score, you go three and out, and then they have the ball for another seven minutes. And like that can really make it feel like we need to do something right now or this game is going to be over because our defense will collapse on the field. They had a couple of drives like that, but not so close together that they put overwhelming pressure on the Wildcats, but still, Northwestern's own inability to sustain any drives of their own. I think their long drive in the first half was six plays. Um, gave this one a real air of finality at 14-0 in the second quarter. Um, Minnesota finds themselves right back in the thick of things for the West Division, despite trying to build their offense entirely out of Mohamed Ibrahim. I don't know what the plan is next year, because none of their other tailbacks look anywhere near as good as him, and this passing game still doesn't seem to have much in the way of juice. So that's a next year problem for this year. Their problem is winning these last two games against again, hated blood rivals. And then they find themselves with a very real chance to be going to Indianapolis. Yeah, of course for them to do that, that will require Purdue to lose to Northwestern or Indiana, but we're right. going to get into that. Of course, you know, Iowa having the head-to-head over Purdue makes things, um, you know, checkmate for the villains here. Yeah, four teams at four and three. I guess this is as good a time as any to mention that. So in the Big Ten West, you now have Illinois, Iowa, Purdue, and Minnesota all tied. Four and three overall. As we sit here currently, though... I mean, that's in the conference, by the way. I don't, I don't mean overall. So overall conference record. Um, as you mentioned, Illinois, the last two games, by far the most difficult game of any of those teams left with the trip to Michigan. It is at Michigan, right? Yep. And then Illinois, which I believe is in Cham- or Northwestern, which I believe is in Champaign. No, that's, no, I mean, it might as well be, but. Oh, it's also on the road. Okay, yeah. I stand corrected. So Iowa. Yeah, senior day, too. That, that's the other great thing. Um, yeah, saw Chase Brown hobble back to the locker room for his final Memorial Stadium exit. That was, that was, that was a fun sight to see. Yeah. Um, Minnesota has Iowa and Wisconsin. Iowa has Minnesota and Nebraska. Purdue, as you mentioned, 
Um, Dallas is a fucking senior day, man. Yeah, very manageable. Probably the most manageable slate with Northwestern and Indiana as their last two games. So a lot at play there. We'll have a much clearer picture of what the realistic scenarios are after next week when there's a lot of variables eliminated. Um, if you were to take a pick right now, I know we just said there's no way Iowa doesn't win this division because this is just the most Big Ten West thing that we've seen so far. But of those four teams, who do you think ends up on top calling it straight? I really do think it's Iowa. I mean, because uh, Purdue should have Chuck. I, I really think that uh, Minnesota's too one-dimensional to, to beat Iowa. I mean, Minnesota's really kind of just like, you know, Iowa without as good a defense and with a one-dimensional offense. They have a better running game. Minnesota's running game running is game, considerably again, better. It is also a running game, and Iowa stops the run really well. Um, and, of course, you know, you've got, I mean, prior to it being solved, the Illini defense was sort of comparable to Iowa's against the pass. And what happened was Minnesota's passing game was so bad that when they had to use it, it was an enormous liability. And you can't just keep running the ball. Yeah. The biggest X factor for Minnesota to me is that their quarterback situation remains a bit unsettled here. My understanding is Kaliak Mana started because Morgan is still injured. Is Morgan's injury the type that allows him to get back into the game? Is he going to be limited at all? I know it doesn't make a huge difference because, again, they're not really going to be weighing it around. Like, if Minnesota is throwing the ball more than 20 times, something has gone terribly wrong for them. And you also saw considerable progression from Kaliak Manis from his first appearance a few weeks ago where he was a disaster to looking much better making his first start in a week where presumably they understood early on Morgan's not going to play so we get this kid the reps. He looked much more up to the task. So maybe it's not as big of an issue as I'm making it. I think if that issue resolves in their favor and either they stick with Kaliak Manis he takes another step forward I think Minnesota still ends up being the team on top. I think they have the best balance. Their defense really is not all that far off of what Iowa's doing. They don't get nearly the same turnovers, but they are very good at kicking opponents off the field. Their own offense is much more... They have the best balance of any of these teams. Purdue will randomly misfire on one side of the ball or the other. Um, Illinois... Yeah. Well, I mean... Their best game, they're probably the best of these four teams. But they don't ever play the best game with all of their pieces at once. Minnesota feels like the more stable product without a serious flaw the way that Iowa does have on offense. So that would be my tentative grip of the situation. But again, in a matter of a few days, a lot of questions are going to be answered. So, Well, again, Minnesota was, I mean, Minnesota's defense was vulnerable not just to Penn State, but also... To Illinois, the one time in conference play that they opened that they really opened things up for DeVito, um, had they used that exact same game plan against Purdue, we're not really having this discussion right now. Yeah. But the offensive coordinator that we had to lock up in order to make sure that like Georgia or Alabama didn't offer him two and a half million dollars, uh, had other plans. All right, so that brings us to the end of the week that was in the Big Ten. We'll try to keep it timely and take a quick spin around other interesting things in the conference. USC becoming the only realistic playoff contender in the Pac-12 after Washington took down Oregon in a hugely entertaining game. I hear something very stupid happened. And then Arizona beat UCLA as well. So 
Imagine. What stupid thing did uh, Dan Lanning do? I forget. I don't even know. Um, uh, let's see. Well, it looks like he did. I'm looking. I'm seeing Dan Lanning defends a fourth down onside kick decisions. So. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, in the classic Oregon tradition, taking over from Mario Cristobal, of course. You have to feel like you're honoring your predecessors if you make a really terrible decision late in the game that costs you. Although it is not against Stanford. True. <laughs> Stanford, who there may be something to them have, having domesticated the hypnotoads. Speaking of hypnotoads, the horny frogs intensify, uh, defeating Texas in a low-scoring game, which has not been TCU's modus operandi this year. But they moved to 10-0, and uh, obviously in pole position in the Big 12. As I understand, they're they're doing the divisionless championship game thing, correct? Yes. So, I guess I have to look at the Big Twelve standings. I think there's a non-zero chance they see Texas again, isn't there? I mean, they would have to have a huge ass conference lead, but uh, Kansas State's the front runner right now. Well, that would be interesting. So, I suppose we might see that then. Um, but anyway, undefeated TCU. In year two of Sonny Dykes, I believe, coming over from Crosstown SMU. He's got them playing uh, in... Uh, or is this his first year? One. Is this his first year? year one. I could be... Again, time has no... Yeah, because remember that, TC, that that SMU game was the first year, you know, Tanner Mordecai. Yes, that's still right. there. So, yeah, <laughs> that was the first year that that happened. So, this is year one. I can't emphasize the extent to which time has no meaning anymore. I cannot emphasize it enough. Uh, it turns out that our hopes for Tulane to make the Sugar Bowl were never based in reality. Um, the Sugar Bowl is guaranteed to be SEC Big 12 this year. The group of five bid that's available for the New Year's, for the guaranteed for the New Year's Six is the Cotton Bowl. That takes the sting out of Tulane losing to UCF midweek. Uh, oh, no, it was mid-afternoon. They play on Saturday. They just usually play midweek. They play again on Thursday. That's why I brought uh-huh. them up. Um, but all of that is is irrelevant because we have bowl-bound UConn at the expense of Liberty Biberty, no less. That was the only other detail that I was able to absorb about college football on Saturday. And that did present me with some degree of relief. I am completely serious when I say Jim Moore Jr. should get serious consideration for Coach of the Year. Absolutely. Again, not a tremendously difficult schedule, but the type of schedule against which UConn has gone to and ten in the past. Hold on just a second here. I'd like to know. I'm going to look up UConn football recruiting. Let's see exactly what it is Jim Moore Jr. is working with here. Okay, so the 2022 class, composite rank 113. <laughs> That's their current freshman class. Let's back things up a little bit and see... <laughs> like let's let's appreciate the full depth of the talent level here. Okay, 2021 composite rank 114, and let's go back to 2020. I'm gonna go back to 2019 as well. 2020 number 119, and 2019 117. So what was the high number in there? 112 or something like that? Yes, <laughs> it's the composite recruiting class making up this roster. And I just, I, I couldn't tell you. They probably brought in a few transfers. But to nonetheless take a team that is mostly made of some of the poorest FBS recruiting out there, you know, certainly bottom 15, bottom 20, 
and get to a bowl game with a game to spare. I believe they moved them to six and five, right? Because they played in they play in week zero. Uh, I believe they are in fact six and five. Yes. So they could get to eight wins at UConn in year one with one of the worst with a bottom fifteen recruiting base. It's did give me a better case for coach of the year. Who you get? What are you gonna put Jim Harbaugh at me? Fuck that guy. With the recruiting resources he has available, are you kidding me? You're gonna how about Coach Hype? Josh Heupel. They'll probably give it to him. They'll probably give it to him. Um, are you aware of the extent to which he looks like Bobby Hill? Yes, I have seen the meme. I don't disagree. So it is canon now that Bobby Hill went to Oklahoma. Gosh, dang, Bobby. Oh, anyway. No, there is one more thing we have to address in this non-conference, and that is Texas A&M being eliminated from bowl contention because uh, <laughs> Auburn drove a Cadillac over them. And, of course, to quote five-star cornerback Denver Harris, Auburn, quote, put a supercharge on that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so Texas A&M, with perhaps the talent, most talented roster in the country by recruiting composite. At least, yeah, freshman class was number one, yes. Is three and seven <laughs> as a worse record than Rutgers. Yeah, for most of this year, because it it was pretty early on, people were like, oh, ha, ha, going to buy out Jimbo, ha, 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 got to pay him all the money. I was like, yeah, come on, guys, let's get serious. They're not going to buy out Jimbo Fisher for $100 million or whatever. They might buy out Jimbo Fisher for $100 million. Which is why our damn gas prices are so high because their boosters control the friggin' market. Like, I mean, so consider this: Texas A&M plays UMass this week um, because they couldn't even find anybody from the SoCon who wanted to play them. But then to finish the year, they play LSU, and Brian Kelly, after a humiliating and entertaining opening week loss against Florida State, has quietly got LSU right back in the top ten, which you hate to see. But it would be pretty hilarious if he put like a 70 burger on him and that ended up being the thing that got Jimbo Fisher expelled from Texas A&M was the the most New England guy you will ever meet coming down, taking control of LSU and getting them running in year one. Yeah, I'd still root for Jimbo in that game. I'd root for him. But I I would still find some entertainment from it if Kelly puts it on him. Also, in news that is, of course, relevant to me, Vanderbilt gets oh! first conference win. Vanderbilt, yes, Millie. Vanderbilt is apparently the word that makes you go woof woof. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt gets Vanderbilt. their first conference win since 2019, taking down number 24, Kentucky. Yeah, guess Vince Merrow should have bailed for that Michigan State assistant position when he had the chance. We'll still pay you a lot of money. Come recruit for us. Don't be an ass. And uh, let's see. Bring them blue else? chips. Bring the blue chips. Well, yeah, those are really tasty ones. Mm. Blue corn, corn, hell yeah. Get the queso on it. Uh, Oklahoma now needs to win one of their last two games to go bowling. And those last two games would be... Oak State and Texas Tech. Yeah, I was going to say Bedlam and who, yeah. They're they're, they're winnable, for sure. Texas Tech is doable, yeah. But still, the prospect of Oklahoma being having their backs against the wall to to get to a bowl game. What's like the look? You know what? Let me look up. I have a tab open for bowl ties. Let's see what the most embarrassing bowl that Oklahoma could go to would be. We've had, we've now had a situation like this for, for, for so many of the teams that have kind of come and gone 
as uh, as power teams. Still waiting on Alabama and Ohio State, though. Yeah, I would say keep waiting. Um, okay, Big 12 Bowl tie-ins. Number one, Sugar Bowl. Number two, Alamo. Cheez-Its. Texas. Liberty. Liberty. Guaranteed rate appears to be the lowest definite tie-in. Other tie-ins are Forces Bowl, First Responder Bowl. Well, anyway, I am looking at my weather app, and it says stopping soon. So I guess we're stopping soon. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off-tackle empire!